How are you feeling? Good. And how are you feeling? I want to welcome everybody to another In My Feels episode. Good morning. Today I'm going to dive in on some more about, you know, the mind and and the mind being an instrument at all. Something that you use that doesn't use you. Kind of still on the, you know, the power of now, a guide to a spiritual enlightenment by Eckhart Tolle. And talking about, you know, compulsive thinking, being an addiction, tons of other things. But, you know, as always, before we start, thoughts, feelings, emotions, conditionings, everything on the inside creates your outside exterior. So my question for you listening right now is how are you feeling in this moment? And this book is more relevant to that topic than, than ever. I mean, all we have is the now moment, and I'm going to dive in some more on that in the episode. But, you know, how are you feeling you know, ask yourself why you're feeling the way you're feeling. If you're feeling great, what's made you feel great? If you're feeling not so great, what, what, what can you change the thought process or the pattern to help you feel better? And how am I feeling? I'm a little tired today. I'm a, I don't know if that's a feeling, but I guess that's the way I feel. I'm, there's some great work things happening, some great life things happening, but I feel like I, I'm I'm going to start meditating again, going to start quieting the mind again. So this is why this is also relevant to kind of how I'm feeling right now. And the topics I'm speaking about is exactly what I'm supposed to be hearing and I guess supposed to be speaking about. So I, I feel like I'm starting to align myself internally with what I see f- in physical reality. So hence why we're talking about the kind of these subjects. So Eckhart says... Your mind is an instrument, a tool. It is there to be used for a specific task. And when the task is completed, you lay it down. As it is, I would say about 80 to 90% of most people's thinking is not only repetitive and useless, but because of its dysfunctional and often negative nature, much of it is also harmful. Observe your mind and you will find this to be true. It causes a serious leakage of vital energy. And I can resonate deeply with this how I'm feeling right now I'm tired I think I've been overthinking overthinking things you know worried about too much about what's going to happen in the future you know the, the the state of the world all this type of stuff and then I have to rein myself in and go well what is happening right now in your life and then I turn to my appreciation then I the microscopic level of appreciation I'm healthy you know I have a family that loves me I have love in my life I have love for myself you know, I have great listeners. I have a, a, a platform where I can express my feelings and emotions and not be judged by them or judged for them. And I think Eckhart makes a very important point. Your mind is an instrument. It is there to be used for a specific task. When that task is completed, you should be able to lay it down. But how many of us can lay our minds down? I know it sounds strange. Oh, I've never thought about the process of laying my mind down. But just like, you know, you're working on some tools or you're working on writing something or, 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 or anything and you put the pen down or you put the tool down, it's gone. That's how we should approach things with our minds. And you don't cease existing when you stop thinking. I know it's that kind of notion. When I started meditating first time and it took me like about a week or two to quiet the mind, there was this empty space. And at first it felt weird because i've not it's not something i've experienced in a very long time it's like a it's like silence 
but it's internal silence. And then you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And the more you work on internal silence, the more you have internal silence. And then your thoughts are actual processes that you are creating, even though you're creating the, un, you know, the, the, the racing thoughts is still you. If you're not able to uncondition that mind, it's going to continue to race. Now, if you put the work in and unravel and then structure the mind, you'll be able to quieten it. So we should be able to put our minds down to rest. The kind of compulsive thinking is actually an addiction. What characterizes an addiction? Quite simply this. You no longer feel that you have the choice to stop. It seems stronger than you. It also gives you a full sense of pleasure. Pleasure that invariably turns to pain. See, when I talk about, or when Eckhart talks about compulsive thinking, it's this kind of notion of thinking that is uncontrollable. It's just constantly racing. Your mind's racing. Your mind's racing. I have to do this. I have to do this. I don't have enough minutes in the day. I don't have this. Or, you know, I'm not good enough for this. Or I don't have enough money to get this. I really want my own house. I want my own car. All these things that are consistently that you are creating within your mind are starting to run away with you and are starting to use you. And that becomes an addiction. When you do something, like I've spoken about the book of habits, when you do something for a certain amount of time, you know, it's difficult for you to unravel that. And it goes for anything, like going to the gym. Like how long does it take you to get in that process of being addicted to the gym? It takes a while because you have to put in the physical work and then it has to become rewarding for you. The rewarding for you is feeling healthy or feeling fit. And, you know, I went to the gym this morning with my younger brother, shout out to him. He's, he's been training me on and off and it, I didn't want to go this morning. I was like, no, 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 no. But you know what? I'm going to force this habit. I went. Did I feel great afterwards? I actually did. And I didn't. I felt like I was going to puke because it was that difficult. But I know I'm going to go again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I'm not going to take myself a no for an answer. And that is the, the, the kind of definitions of creating these habits. Now, if your mind's consistently racing all the time and the compulsive thinking, that is an addiction. You're addicted to overthinking. You're addicted to constantly thinking this kind of dialogue, this inner narrativeness within, within you that you feel is uncontrollable, which is now become an addiction. And it becomes this false sense of, you know, Eckhart says pleasure, but it's this false sense of security. Because then when you start working on that and you see the opposite of that, you're like, oh, hang on. It feels weird to not think because I've always consistently kept thinking. And even though you feel uncomfortable, there's some comfort in that because you do it all the time and you're used to it. So when you stop becoming used to it, that becomes something uncomfortable. But this is where we have to develop. We have to develop our minds. We have to develop our nature. We have to develop our internal power that we have over everything. And we have to get rid of the notion that we would stop existing if we stopped thinking. That's the disease. That's the illness. Eckhart says, you know, as you grow up, you form a mental image of who you are based on your personal and cultural conditioning. We may call this phantom self the ego. To the ego, the present moment hardly exists. Only past and future are considered important. So we can, we can call it the ego. We can call it this kind of inner dialogue, this kind of conditioning, this cultural and personal conditioning. And this, this phantom self, we call, let's call it the ego. So you have this internal dialogue that's consistently going and going and, and you separate yourself from it. So therefore you give this inner 
this inner thing, this ego, power. You give it power from within. You give it power over you and it uses you. And the present moment doesn't hardly exists because I've been there. And I, and, and, I, and I go back there, you know, but I am aware of where I go. That's why this book is so important for you to develop a conditioning for living in the now. Because to the ego, again, the present moment hardly exists. Only past and future are considered important. The ego is always concerned with keeping the past alive because without it, who are you? Who are we? The ego constantly projects itself into the future to ensure its continued survival and seek some kind of release or fulfillment there. We separate ourselves inside ourselves and we create this ego. It says, one day when this, that, or the other happens, I am going to be okay. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be at peace. And you know what happens? You're not. There may be a slight relief within yourself that, oh, I achieved that. Fuck yes, I'm great. And then you go back to the same creature of habits, the same conditioning, the same living in the past and living in the future. None of us really live in the now, but you have to understand the past is created now and the future is created now factually. The sentence I just spoke was created now. Now it's in the past. What I'm about to speak is created now, which is going to be in the future. Now it's in the past. You see what I'm saying? We have to, uh, I have to break things down practically for them to be understood for myself. Because the spiritual realm of things is not always so easy to understand. But what isn't easy to understand is the power that you have. If, if you apply it and use it, and you know what holds the key to liberation, the present moment. You know why? Because it's a present, it's a gift. But you cannot find the present moment as long as you are your mind. When I have been in more, I would say I've been more aligned than I, have, than, than I am today. But I'm, but I'm aware of it and I know what I have to do to work on it to overcome the boundary of that kind of future. I don't, the past to me, I love my past. Yes, a ton of shitty things have happened to me, a lot of anxiety and depression and everything else. But it's brought me to awareness. It's brought me to where I am today. The thing that I'm battling now is future things. You know, what do I want out of this physical reality? What do I want out of life? You know, do I need a new house? Do I need more space? Do I need a new car? Do I need, you know, do I want to travel with my family? Do I, you know, my daughter starts school. So it kind of becomes this, I guess, layman terms of once she's in school, she's locked in and I want her to experience travel. I want her to experience life. I want her to experience things and I want to experience things through her eyes. So there's this constant future battle within myself but then I break it down as like, none of that exists because it's not now. And I'm like, Ooh, hang on a minute. It's not now. And the present moment is the only thing that matters. That's going to liberate you from your ego. And the present moment holds the key to liberation. You know, thinking and consciousness are not synonymous. Thinking is only a small aspect of it. Eckhart Fowler goes on to say, this is, what, this is what I love about this, this kind of book. And he, and he breaks down the kind of sense of in, enlightenment. And, you know, because well, before I even I started vaguely knowing about spiritualism and about Buddha enlightenment, I thought it was like a light that hit him and he became this super powerful being. And it became, you know, he rose up and all this stuff. It's not. It's, it's, it's awareness. And Eckhart says, enlightenment means rising above thought, not falling back to a level below thought, the level of an animal or or a plant. In the enlightened state, 
you still use your thinking mind when needed, but in a much more focused and effective way than before. You use it mostly for practical purposes, but you are free of the involuntary internal dialogue and there is inner stillness. When you do use your mind, and particularly when a creative solution is needed, you oscillate every few minutes or so between thought and stillness, between mind and no mind. No mind is consciousness without thought. Only in that way is it possible to think creatively, because only in that way does the thought have any real power. Thought alone, when it is no longer connected with the much vaster realm of consciousness, quickly becomes barren, insane, and destructive. Super powerful stuff. See, enlightenment means rising above thought, because you are not your mind. Your mind is part of you as a tool for you to use, not for it to use you. And if you fall below, if you fall back to the level of below thought, the level of an animal or a plant, see, an animal knows who they are. A plant knows who they are. We're always confused about who we are. But it's not about who we are, it's who we want to be. That's the level of thought. And in an enlightened state, you should use your thinking mind when needed. But then you put it down when you don't need it. Because you're in the present moment. You're thinking in the now. It's a now procedure. You're fully focused. And see, when you use your mind in a creative aspect or solution, or when a creative aspect and solution is needed, you step in between thought and stillness, between mind and no mind. No mind is consciousness without thought, which is a beautiful place to be if you can condition your mind to do that. But it's you, you're the power, you can do this. It's going to take time because you, you've been in a creature of habit of thinking and believing you are your mind for so long that it's going to take a while for you to know that you are not. And the, you know, the last point he said was thought alone when it is no longer connected with the much vaster realm of consciousness quickly becomes barren, insane and destructive. Thought alone, and I completely agree with this, thought alone when it's no longer connected to the realm of consciousness, you lose that awareness because you should know that your thoughts are powerful. So if they're uncontrollable, what are you going to attract? Uncontrollable things in your physical reality. And I always have to break it down to that. And don't panic if you're thinking, oh my God, you know, I'm thinking all these negative shit, negative shit's going to happen. Positive thoughts way outweigh negative thoughts. Because if it didn't, you have to use your, I used to be so negative and I, I, and I would, but they're all little negatives that make the whole. Whereas you think of one powerful positive thing that could take it all out. But you have to condition yourself, recondition yourself. And this last thing from, from Echo, which I, which I love too, because it, it kind of sums up the kind of human nature-ness and how we've been conditioned. The mind is essentially a survival machine, attack and defense against other minds, gathering, storing, and analyzing information. This is what it is good at, but it is not at all creative. All true artists, whether they know it or not, create from a place of no mind, from inner stillness. The mind then gives form to the creative impulse or insight. And I, as someone who works with artists and has seen this, I've seen some very successful artists and some very talented artists who don't make it and everything else. When they create, say, a hit song, they are operating from a place of no mind. Oh, I wrote that in 30 minutes. I can't believe it became the biggest song I've ever had. Because they're operating from a place of no mind. When I mean no mind, they're not overthinking. They're, they're actually just in the moment. I'm writing this song. This is easy. This feels really good. Boom. The energy's locked in the song. 
this is my interpretation of because I've been trying to study and analyze. I've seen artists who want to put songs out, who don't want to put songs out. And some artists who, who don't want to put songs out who have the biggest songs ever in their career. So that goes against the kind of law of attraction. But therefore, I think the energy is, tra- is in the song. It's in the creation process of the song. It's whoever created it. Remember, you're co-creating with everybody. It's not just, you know, you can't manifest for someone else. But at the same time, you're co-creating together. And, I, and I've, I've experienced this many, many, many times with a bunch of successful artists and also some who are struggling artists. They don't create from a place of no mind. They create from a place of ego. And again, ego is not something that is from a place of the past or the future. I've seen a ton of artists who have been doing music forever and, and haven't made it, haven't made it, haven't made it in their, in their mind. So they're doing it from past experience. Oh, you know, I've, I've always tried to make it. I've always tried, I'm not sure why it's doing it. And it kind of batters them, batters them down, batters them down, batters them down. And then in the end, they say, you know what? Enough. I'm done. And you know what happens? It floods in because they get out of their own way and it becomes hugely successful. I've seen it so, so many times. And this can be any field, any creative field. And remember, you're creative all the time. Even if you're thinking negative, you're creating a negative thought. It's creation. So let's step our collective consciousness into a positive space, into not identifying with our mind, using it as a tool and putting it down when it's finished. And living in the present moment. Practice, practice, practice makes perfect. And I think I'm going to leave it there. I really enjoyed this one, actually. Really enjoyed this one. Again, I want to thank everybody for listening, for supporting. I've been getting some great messages on Instagram. So please hit me up. Please leave some feedback on, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do a rating system and hit me up, please. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you.